welcome to the podcast, The Common Bridge with Richard Helpy. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors, but with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. My name is Brian Kruger, and from time to time, I'll be the moderator and host of this podcast. And welcome to Quick Takes with Rich Helpy. This is uh, an episode that we do every now and then where we just, uh, I ask Rich a couple of questions just off the mark. It's not a normal Common Bridge episode, so here we go. Rich, uh, welcome, and uh, glad you could be with us today. And I'm going to start out with what I'm calling, in air quotes, the uh, vice presidential uh, run <laughs> this year. Not really an appointment, but people actually campaigning for the job. Um, just as a recap from where I'm coming from, in 1944, FDR was picking his third vice presidential uh, candidate, and that was Harry S. Truman. He was replacing uh, Henry Wallace, I believe. And everybody had this idea that whoever Truman or uh, whoever FDR picked um, was essentially going to be. Uh, it was very much expected that he could end up in the presidency seat because FDR was in such poor health. Fast forward to now, and we have the president, the president uh, candidate uh, Joe Biden picking his running mate, and for the first time, everybody's campaigning for it um, because I have a feeling they're campaigning for the presidency. I don't think Biden's going to last the four years. Maybe he does, but he's even said he probably won't run the second four years. So this is a very important run. So with that, I'm going to hand it off to you, Rich, and thanks for coming. <laughs> and what do you think about this vice presidential deal? Well, I thought where you were going with this was uh, you're going to make it really easy on me. So I think the vice president pick is going to be Mike Pence <laughs> um, because you, you know you said the incumbent president, and uh, I haven't heard any you know rumors of uh, Mike Pence not being on the ticket. Although you know if, for whatever reason uh, Mike Pence didn't want to go for another term, you know there's some real good talent there. You know Nikki Haley's got a great resume. A uh, very effective governor uh, got her, you know, international bona fides as ambassador to the UN. has has proven that she can stand up and say she speaks her own mind. I, I think Nikki Haley would, you know, make a great president someday. But you you want to know basically where are we with the you know, presuming that Joe Biden secures the nomination and who he might pick as his vice president. Uh, he has committed to uh, picking a woman as a vice president. And the way I'd look at it would be this. His best choice would probably be Elizabeth Warren. And, and I say that because of this. So first of all, she's well-known already. Uh, she runs the kind of campaign that would baffle a Donald Trump. She if she stays out of the Trump, you know, exchange of barbs and insults and says, you know, great. Thank you, Mr. President. Now, what is your plan for student debt? Here's mine. I, I think she has a, a chance of elevating the dialogue. Uh, the other strength that she brings is that in some respects, and I know this is casting a wide net, she's kind of viewed as a, a Bernie Sanders light. And the Biden has not secured the supporters of Bernie Sanders. And indeed, the Democrats said they were going to cancel the primary in New York State 
and award all the delegates to Joe Biden, which further enraged the Sanders wing. And Vice President Biden needs to bring that group along. And I think that Elizabeth Warren would be a credible voice in bringing that group in. So in terms of the kind of outcome that uh, candidate Biden would be looking at, I think Elizabeth Warren would be a really strong pick. His challenge is going to be that she is no wallflower. She's not going to be easily controlled. And she will, you know, create her own dynamic around that office. And and if he'll, he's willing to share power like that, I think it'd be a really good pick. Now, what about Stacey Abrams and uh, the idea that it was the African-American vote that came out in South Carolina that helped propel Biden mysteriously, like overnight into the presumptive nominee for the Democratic Party? And if she says, hey, look, you know, the African-American community brought this along. I think you should pick an African-American woman. Um, do you think there's anything to that or are we, are we reading too much into that? Well, I, I'm not a person that really likes to go down the inherited identity politics pathway mm-hmm. in that there's so much diversity of thought amongst men, amongst women, amongst African-Americans, amongst Asian-Americans, amongst hispanic Americans and such. And I, I think that a Kamala Harris or a Stacey Abrams um, would make an interesting candidate, although I don't think either would have the resume that could stand up uh, to the requirements of the job, Right. Yeah. nor could they pull the kind of votes in the locations that a, a successful Biden candidacy is going to need. I see. And so while they're interesting people and they're certainly contending for the job, I, I don't believe it's, it's the right formula. The, the other person that, that Vice President Biden might look at uh, would be Amy Klobuchar. Right. Uh, she's yeah. a great campaigner. She's a great candidate. She, she's good. Yeah. She's very. She's from the Upper Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, she grew during her presidential run. Um, she would put Wisconsin in play, possibly put Iowa in play, and you know, frankly, she's got a Midwestern appeal, and and that is an area of the country that the vice president would need in order to uh, become the president. And of course, she's of the right age, so. Mm-hmm. That'd be my take on where to go. All right. Which brings us, though, to the other female uh, in the Midwest, um, the one that seems to be getting the most airtime, and that's our our very own governor here in Michigan. Again, an interesting conversation, and I can't help but be struck by the parallels to 2008. Mm -hmm. And in 2008, there was a centrist very old establishment candidate running who selected a young female governor as his running mate. Um, And that, of course, was John McCain's selection of Sarah Palin. Of course. And at that time, Sarah Palin uh, was a governor enjoying some 87% approval rating in her state. She was hugely popular in Alaska, hugely popular. I have some friends living up there that said that you know, she was beloved. Mm-hmm. Um, she had experience in uh, energy, 
She had experience in uh, military and a great personal story, if it was allowed to be told, about becoming mayor uh, based on the encouragement of her PTA group mm-hmm. and running for governor based on the encouragement of the citizens that she served as mayor. A- and then, you know, she was on the national stage and uh, that, you know, turned out to be very bad outcome. And, and so you kind of fast forward here now and you have a, a very... Um, establishment, uh, clearly more centrist candidate and very aged candidate in Joe Biden, also turning to a young female governor. The parallels are just stark. And so you saw the the, the way the um, national news media uh, treated Sarah Palin, and you saw the way the uh, comedy programs treated Sarah Palin. And the, you know, frankly, lack of preparation that the uh, McCain campaign provided Sarah Palin. Um, I don't think you'll have those type of dynamics with Governor Whitmer. Um, but my sense is that she's really not quite ready for the national stage. She's only been a governor a very short period of time. Under a year, right? Do I have that? Am I remembering that's, that right? That's right. And, yeah. you know, I, I'd say let her do her job in the state of Michigan, but I don't think you're going to hear uh, any Saturday Night Live skits where uh, Tina Fey comes out as, as Gretchen Whitmer and says, I can see Canada from my house. All right, people right. attribute that to, to Governor Whitmer. So, Rich, the way the media is, uh, is, is handling Whitmer, I mean, she's everywhere. She's on all the major news uh, channels. She writes editorials. Um, is she at risk of being abused? on national like uh, comedy shows and such like like Sarah Palin was? Well, clearly not being uh, disparaged and attacked like Sarah Palin was. Uh, but, you know, frankly, she's being used right now. And uh, it's changed her tone from where she was when she began as governor. Um, she said, I don't care about the Democrats or Republicans or partisanship that we're Michiganders, we get stuff done. Mm-hmm. And it's like, great, that's the way to talk and, and behave. And, you know, as her tagline was, fix the damn roads, which, hallelujah, if anybody can figure out how to do that here, um, that, that would be great. Yeah, We are in a weird climatic band that makes that really hard to do, but I, I'm, I'm all for it. But I've noticed this really partisan shift. And and unfortunately, I I think that really speaks to the bigger problem. You can't be a pragmatic, get-it-done, nonpartisan person and appeal to the party and to the uh, news industry in these times. That's the problem. You can take good people and make them do not so good things because of this partisan divide and somebody feeling like they have to jump a hundred percent on one side or a hundred percent on the other. Yeah. And look, Brian, I was talking to a friend of mine within recent days and we were talking about all of the many things that have gone on around the uh, pandemic. And you know, we look at governor Cuomo in New York and Governor Cuomo, in an executive order, said that the nursing homes had to take 
the the uh, infected patients, mm-hmm. and that's turned out to be a really bad move. And to the governor's credit, he has reversed that, uh, but it did lead to some very tragic consequences. And what we have to accept is that the men and women that serve in these elected capacities are going to make mistakes. And you oftentimes, in a leadership position, have to make a decision based on the information that you have at that moment. And regardless of the outcome, you own it. And so, you know, I think people are familiar with what General Eisenhower wrote prior to the D-Day invasions. And he wrote a note that had it failed, he said, all of the responsibility lies with me. And, And Brian, look, that is one of the problems that we have with our president today. And our our president is not someone that had truly prepared for the full job of the presidency, does not avail himself of how to learn the full job, and compounds those defects or deficiencies, if you will, with massive personal problems. And Rather than saying, it's my watch, I own the responsibility for the outcome of the pandemic, he says the opposite. And that at every stage along this pandemic experience, it's obvious he's really concerned with how he's going to be evaluated and how his poll results might be and what his reelection chances could be. And it causes him to say really ridiculous things on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And, and oftentimes what he says and what he actually does are two different things. And if you kind of erased a lot of the stuff that comes out of his mouth, you know, the administration has not been terrible during this time. But his inability to accept what a president does and how a president behaves and how a president speaks is diminishing anyone's confidence in him. Right. So that kind of brings us to looking ahead in 2020, a really terrible situation that just like in 16, we had an established party candidate with a lot of baggage, with a lot of money that they had made from sources that were questionable at best, who ran a negative attack campaign behind door number one, behind door number two. We have a candidate not prepared for the job, not interested in learning the job with massive personal issues. Mm -hmm. And now look at what's coming up in 2020. We're not getting better choices. And it's coming at a time when this pandemic has exposed a lot of the weaknesses in our country and our our lack of effective government, our lack of effective factual news reporting. And really, it's almost, I hope it's the pinnacle of how unprepared our government is to deal with the issues of the day. The reason we started this podcast was because it was apparent that the 
partisan politics, partisan politicians had become really good at attacking each other and less and less effective at dealing with healthcare, immigration, student debt, firearms. It's just solving issues in general. Yeah, public health, infrastructure, spending wisely without creating a deficit, household incomes, okay, go down the line. And we don't have two parties competing to provide the best answer to those issues. We have parties competing to keep the other party out of power. Right. So whatever it takes just to beat the other party, it doesn't matter who it is because it wouldn't be Biden if, if they were looking for the best candidate that they could find on the left and the right. It wouldn't be Donald Trump if they're looking for the best candidate to be a, the president of the United States. So they precisely got, got to this thing where they're trying to beat the other side. That's all. Exactly. And so we will keep getting this kind of choice and this kind of government right up until the time that we as a people reject it and say, I don't want to hear how bad the other person is. I want to know how we are going to approach environmental concerns, how we're going to approach a better education system, how we're going to approach tax fairness. And let's get those policy issues up front. And and here's the interesting thing, Brian. I have friends that are from way, way, way left mm-hmm. and friends that are way, way, way right and everybody in between. And with some exceptions, because I do have some friends that are really dug in, <laughs> yeah. I, I can talk with folks and get them to understand that there is a way other than the dogma that they read and preach every day. Right. And say, you know what, that's not perfect, but gosh, it would be better. And guess what? Everybody's going for the same thing. We want a country there where there is security, where there's clean air and water, where people are housed, transported, fed, have medical care, and, and the like. Mm-hmm. And, and what we have done now, or allowed to happen, is let two parties who are, have entrenched themselves Forget about all those needs, forget about the people that elected them, and only work on competing with the other one. Case in point, Joe Biden goes to an auto plant and looks an auto worker in the face and says, I don't work for you, man. (laughs) It's like, okay, now it's out there. You, hardworking American on an assembly line, you don't count. I don't work for you. It's like, I kind of think you do. <laughs> right. So um, th- that's where we need to get back to. It's called public service. That's right. And public servants. And we have allowed ourselves into this situation by accepting those kind of behaviors from the political parties. And we accept news media that we know is wrong. Mm-hmm. And what I would again recommend to everybody is that they take it upon themselves to sample news regularly from all sources. You know, by way of example, the situation around the recent disclosures really was only covered by Fox News. Mm-hmm. And I'm waiting to f- 
see the outrage that during a time when six or seven, and I can name them, you know, James Clapper, John Brennan, Susan Rice, Evelyn Farkas, Loretta Lynch, Sally Yates, were testifying in front of House committees under oath that they never saw any evidence of collusion with the Russians, never actually heard of any evidence that elected representatives were on networks saying that they had seen magnificent amounts of information mm-hmm. and hard evidence. Mm-hmm. As you heard on the interview with Ken Chatwell, that uh, it's not a crime to do that for that politician, but somebody's going to reward the guy by putting him back in office. Yeah. And, and, and we're going to keep getting that as long as we keep accepting yeah. it. Maybe, maybe someday we'll make it a crime to get on the news and, and lie, because right now there is no repercussions on that. And in fact, you get a bonus because people will listen to it, take it as the truth because they believe their media channel, and then they'll vote for the person. Well, it would destroy their business model. Mm-hmm. But also, we need to get on to more reasoned dialogue. Uh, nobody is perfect. I don't do my job great every day. And... I've learned from my successes. I've learned from my failures. I've learned from my right moves. I've learned from my mistakes. And that's the expectation we should have of our leaders. And we should also bring our cynicism, our skepticism, and our questioning minds uh, to the newscasts every day. I agree. I know when I sit down and watch the news, I want to ask What's the rest of the story? What else is behind this? Mm -hmm. And perhaps if we push on those media outlets, we'll get a better product. Sounds good. I don't know. What what were we talking about today, by the way? (laughs) What was the topic today? The topic was calling you up just to get you to (laughs) go off book and and, and talk about what your feelings were on this. (laughs) All right. So, Rich, um, thanks for taking time the second time today for doing a quick takes. I know you're a busy man, but uh, I do like getting some uh, you know, off-the-cuff remarks on some of today's topics. So thanks a lot. All right, great. I, we've got to put a warning wrapper around this thing, too, so we don't drive away our audience. <laughs> All <laughs> right, we'll do that. Rich, take care. Right, thanks, we'll talk Brian. to you next week. You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge Podcast, recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.